1: My name is Warren Tate. I'm a communication and presentation coach. I work with C-suite executives around the world on mastering their communication for influence. And this is the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast.
0: Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. Warren, welcome to the show, mate. Cheers, buddy. Great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, we've been chatting, obviously, in the gym. We, we met in the gym, and you mentioned to me the other day uh, that you've been listening to a bunch of these episodes, um, and you're very kind to give me a compliment on the, on the actual uh, the way I speak, I guess, on the show. But I kind of came back to you straight away and mentioned that you know we're nearly 450 episodes in, and speaking in particular, particularly public speaking, um, in front of camera and whatnot has been definitely a skill that has been developed over just hours and hours of practice. But the benefits of that has been significant. So you obviously work with some really high level, uh, whether it be business owners, company owners, entrepreneurs, people with personal brands and whatnot. When it comes to skill sets, like where do you rank communication and, and in particular being able to speak publicly in
1: terms of skill sets? Well, it's the number one, without a doubt. And I'm not just saying that because of the role that I do. But you can have the best quality product, the best service that is deliverable in the marketplace. You can even be first entry into marketplace as a startup, Mm -hmm. But it is only going to be as good as the ability for you to communicate the message across. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how good the product is, how much money you've invested, how much VC funding you've got. If you can't influence others by telling them what the problem it solves and how it helps others Mm. it's always going to be at a level four or five which is your level of communication skills right when
0: when we talk about say a bigger company so um yeah as you mentioned you've worked with a bunch of them how important is it for the the founder or the ceo of the company to be able to be efficient and and um and good at public speaking in comparison to just their marketing for example so when I think of like communication um, and marketing does it have to be public speaking and whether it be podcasting or talking um, at a conference or being able to communicate with the the team and whatnot or can effective communication come through other methods like social media or or like storytelling through other platforms well
1: it covers the full gambit but the challenge is if you're got a product which is ASX listed, as an example, Yeah, and you're a CEO. What you say, everything that you say can influence the share price. Mm. So if you go out and you say something off the cuff or you haven't rehearsed it, or you haven't really thought about the core message which you want to deliver, and it lands wrong with the audience, well, look out. <laughs> it can impact yeah. that business by millions, if not billions of dollars um elon musk and his tweets are a classic example i was thinking of that
0: i was just about to bring that up yeah
1: (laughs) yeah so there's a classic example so you can just really screw around with a uh, with a share price based on the ability of the ceo to communicate but that also comes through the branding and what that branding message delivers as well so it starts from at all levels and it starts from building the culture of how you're delivering that message throughout the team how that team can relay that message and, and that branding message. Mm-hmm. And that all stops at the top. And I've worked with many companies who have gone IPO and they've got their message right. And it's been the difference between getting funding and then launching really well onto the marketplace and failing dismally.
0: And that was one of the things I was going to bring up. So from your experience, like, can you give us an example of, um, let's say someone that you've kind of come into contact with who has been poor at communicating, whether it be with their audience or... Within the culture of their their staff or whatever, um, and then what they've been able to implement to then turn that around. Work, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. There's many a tech company that I've worked
1: with, so I'm very fortunate to work as as a pitch and communication coach for many accelerator programs. Yeah, so they refer business to me, and I work with clients, and and especially those people have been diving in the weeds. They're an engineer. They're they're a um, tech. Organ- they're just tech focused, mm. and they've built this great platform. And they go right into the weeds. But it does this, but it does that, and it does this. And they go into all the technical detail of what it can do.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But I said, why did you build it? What's the end result? What does that do to the client in the end, whether that be the B2B, but the B2B still has a a C at the end of it, it has a customer at the end. What's that client journey? What does that mean to them? And how does that impact on them? right down to an emotional level. So I talk about external, internal problems, but when you get to the emotional problem, that's when you have a real impact with your audience. Yeah. But these guys just go technical, 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 and you lose it. You know. Yeah. I don't care about your API. I don't care how many, you know, the technical aspects of it, about the code within it and so yeah. forth, and the amount of money you've spent developing it and the A and B testing it. It's irrelevant until it means something to somebody yeah. who uses it.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I often look at that when uh, even through social media when I see and that's something that I try and do with the podcast, even with my social media and email list and whatnot is try and make all of my content as relatable as possible to the actual audience because you do see a lot of experts in whatever industry it is. And as you said, it's like almost just like fucking look how much I know. But then when you're talking about a consumer, it's like, fuck i don't give a shit about like i none of this even makes sense to me so it's like when someone is trying to i guess i guess what i'm trying to ask is with storytelling like is that what is it the reason why we do the storytelling because it gets, it gives that emotional kind of response well there's neuroscience
1: behind it as well with storytelling so you're talking about facts and figures and detail which is great and you're but you're also only appealing to probably between 30 to 40% of any marketplace as to how you take in information. So you either learn in, in the detail and data or your visual and big picture. Yep. You know, and that's just naturally how people learn uh, across a population of people. So when you go into data and detail, you're going to miss out on at least 50 to 60% of your marketplace unless you can tell it and visualize it into a story format. And there's a thing called neural neural coupling. I don't want to get into too much detail. but when No, you can. (laughs) That's good. So in neuroscience, they've done studies where they've scanned the brain and when a storyteller and a listener, when they're in that environment and they're hearing a story, the same parts of the brain light up at exactly the same time in both parties. So you're having a connection at a far deeper level than you ever thought was possible. If you just go into data... You're only using the frontal cortex part of the brain and that's about 10% of our capacity. very important part because you know we wouldn't have we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. that's yeah. where uh, we we're able to decipher information and communicate more effectively. so therefore Neanderthals versus Homo sapiens going back tens of thousands of years. so that's where the difference is so that's the frontal cortex but unless you engage the emotional element and the sensory part of the brain which is a good two-thirds of the brain, you've got you, you know you're activating just a minimal part. Mm. So long-winded answer, but that's where story really comes into play and creates a visualization in the mind of the listener, and they can put themselves in that scene, in that picture, imagine themselves as that character. Could you try again? And Siri likes to interrupt. Siri likes you know, so it as well. Yeah. Did I say that word seriously? She really
0: does pop She's in. She's quite an effective communicator herself. Oh yeah, very very oh, nice. Sure <laughs> <laughs> you go third mic here for us, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, in your opinion, who is like... Give us some, some examples of some of the more effective communicators that you've ever come across, whether it's in person or just from afar.
1: More likely from people who I've immersed myself
0: in and studied and really
1: admired them as communicators mm-hmm. and storytellers. Steve Jobs was one of the best. Yeah. you know He's an introvert. He just worked his ass off mm-hmm. to master the art of communication. And to be able to tell a compelling story. I mean, he's used all aspects of storytelling mastery whenever he delivered a presentation. So one of his earliest presentations prior to the iPhone was where he needed to get rid of the the, um, the operating system and Apple operating system. I've, I think it was um, operating system 10. And he had all the tech people there, all the guys had been working on, the, on this new platform, but they were worried that this... It wasn't going to overtake the other, and he had a oversized casket on the stage. This was an internal presentation. Oversized casket had the big um, Apple screen inside the casket. He had the dry ice, the smoke, and all that, and he was and he read a eulogy. <laughs> this is the death of, and you'll never hear from this operating system ever again. And it was just such a powerful, impactful, yeah. <laughs> you know, visual to say. That's it. It's gone. It's dead and buried. Move on. Mm. So all of those aspects when you bring that into play, um, his launch of the iPhone was just brilliant. It's mm. 70 70 minutes of genius where you've got humor involved. He had a tech failure during that during that launch, which is quite interesting how he managed that. And then if you go into Indra Nooyi, who is somebody which I love, you may may have heard of her. She was the past CEO of PepsiCo. Okay. And she was – she's an Indian descent, a woman, who took over PepsiCo when it was on its knees. Coca-Cola was a, a juggernaut. Mm-hmm. And she was able to rebuild that organisation as one of the leading fast-moving commercial goods companies in the world. But she did that by bringing in the ability to bring a team together. And she's got a great story, and it was an interview that she did with, um, with Harvard, or one of the, one of the business schools. And she talked about how she went on a trip home to meet her mum. Just to go home, hadn't seen her mum for a while. And she was there to catch up with mum and suddenly all these people started to come in. It's like, mum, I'm here to see you and you've got all these guests coming through. And the story goes, she was saying, they would come through, brush past her and go straight to her mother and say, oh my god. You're incredible. This is the woman that you that you raised and that you brought up as a mother. What an incredible child that you've got and blah, blah, blah. And it was all about this praise on the mother for Indra. Oh. And she thought, this is a great lesson to be learned. So we, she would write to the executives' family and spouses but never wrote to their parents of her executive team. She had 25 on her executive team. So she started to write a letter explaining why she was writing this letter and but thanking them for the children that they've brought up, the values that you've brought them into the world and how amazing they are. And she said it had the biggest impact ever on the commitment of her executive team but also the longevity of that culture change within the organisation and that was one of the core elements that shifted that business.
0: So that's interesting.
1: So, yeah, it's just fascinating. The, a couple of leaders who have used powerful story and powerful tools to shift and change and influence not just individuals but an entire executive team which is, which lifted the entire company of, of PepsiCo, is that
0: example? Yeah, that's insane. I'm assuming you've read uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek? Indeed. Yeah, yep. that's an amazing book. That, that really changed my perspective on storytelling but also being able to to really push your message in a way that uh is able to kind of tap into someone's actual emotions without having to just constantly talk about whether it's the service or the product or what you're doing like i think of you mentioned apple before like when you watch an ad on whether it's on the computer like whether it comes up on youtube or tv or whatever it is it's like you don't even by the end of the ad you're literally thinking like oh, i fucking have no idea like what this is about and then the final thing is like just the product they just do so well at like drawing you into to this marketing without pretty much talking about the actual product itself at all it's crazy you mentioned before um visuals so when i think of a public speaker for example whether i'm going to like a conference or a seminar seminar or whatever um how important is someone who is uh presenting to whether it's um whether it's a keynote or whether it's to their staff or whatever like do you think it's extremely important to have visuals as well as the speaking side of things in terms of really being able to get people to um engage or are you able to have a really effective communication without any visuals
1: both (laughs) so the last thing you want to do and i see many executives do this and that i call it slideshow karaoke yeah yeah, you know, they just have the slideshow. They read off the off the PowerPoint. You know, may as well just send out a bloody yeah. PDF and <laughs> don't worry about delivering anything. Yeah. Versus having just an image, an image is extremely powerful. I use a lot of images in yeah. my keynotes just to invoke what I what it is that I'm talking about. But up to eighty percent. Now there's there's research that says it's as high as ninety three percent. But I use when we're on stage in a group environment. 80% of our communication is non-verbal. So it's how you use stagecraft, how you use story, how you take people along for the journey with you and take them into the story. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say you, you must look at your audience all the time. In fact, whenever I'm in story, I don't look at the audience at all. I look into right. the scene of the story and I yeah. relive that story. I don't retell
0: it. Try and get yourself to actually feel like you're – I'm, I'm in back in it. yeah. yeah. I'm, in, I'm
1: in it. I'm describing it. I'm seeing, you know, describing what I see, what I smell, all of those aspects. And I want people like in my hip pocket yeah. being next to me in that story. And you can't do that by looking at the audience. Yeah. So you're looking off to – generally it's – so if it's stagecraft, it's back to the right because that's back in time on stage. And how you do all that because your eye, the audience's eyes will follow your eyes. So if your eyes are following your hands, for example, and you're pointing in a direction, that's where the eyes of the audience will go. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost like, you know, wizardry, but it really <laughs> does work. And you take them into that, into that story yeah. and use dialogue and all sorts of other skill sets, which are, which are all learned, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, people often say, oh, come on, you know, you're a nat- you were naturally born this way. You got the gift of the game. I'm like, bullshit.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I've worked my ass off to get to this level um, through learning and mastering and practising the art of being able to speak and present and tell great stories.
0: On that note, like where where was the starting point for you and what really kind of encapsulated you to want to push down this path in terms of one, improving your skill set of communication but then sharing that with other people as well?
1: Yeah, it's a, you often start off when you're in a sales environment or when you're in a management environment, you generally have to speak a lot and present a lot. And I, I was doing a fair bit of that and I, I thought I was pretty good. You just asked me, I would have told you. <laughs> so it was almost, you know, I, I thought I was good. And it's that classic example where I first received a phone call to go up and do a speaking gig as a CEO of Hodges Real Estate to go up to to, to the Gold Coast for another group. Yep. And I thought, well, they just want to hear from me. It's a 90-minute presentation. Uh, they're seeing what I've been doing in the industry. I've been innovating, doing, you know, this thought leader type thing. Threw a few slides together, went up there and... For a 90-minute presentation after 55 minutes, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm out of stuff to talk about. <laughs> um, So I just started to waffle on a bit longer for about another 15 minutes and then I, that was it. Yeah, And, you know, I've got this random clapping from the audience and, <laughs> and I'm like, I've just killed my entire reputation, which I've worked my ass off to build. And I still remember the plane trip home. And it was at that moment that I realised, shit, i got to do something about this it's i just need to upskill and learn this so i went to a guy called craig valentine in the states who's world champion of public speaking Um, people such as patricia fripps uh, michael grinder who's still to this day is my nonverbal modality coach and really took a deep dive into it and then i went to the speakers institute who i'm now a lead facilitator for both in the b2b and b2c arm and got some really in-person live coaching and just continually work on it but the I suppose the biggest turning point which changed and changed the tra- trajectory of my career was when I realised it wasn't about me. So you've probably seen those people that have got up and say, oh, look at me, I'm great, I've done this, I've done that, I've yeah. been able to do it for this company, I've done it for this company, aren't I great? And you you see them and you think, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and it was when I learned the lesson that it wasn't about me, it's about the value that I can add to my audience. Mm-hmm. I would do anything on stage to get my message across. Yeah, all I want to do is serve my audience and I don't care what you think about me Yeah, I don't care what you think about what I'm wearing or any of that as long as I can share a message that will change people's lives and it does um, that's what makes a difference
0: to me and that's what continually drives me that's awesome for someone that's listening or watching this at the moment um, that struggles with the confidence to speak publicly whether it's you know these days even on social media like i'll get trainers reach out to me who are, who are just starting to post on social media and they're shit scared of holding the camera and literally even just talking to the camera by themselves let alone in front of a crowd of people or podcasting is obviously something that's now starting to gain a lot of popularity and yeah. people struggle with that initially and i definitely did and still do but it's improved over time but what pieces of advice can you give to someone who does have that fear around speaking publicly, but they also know they've got a lot of value to offer the audience or their their target market?
1: Well, generally the first thing that comes to mind is what most people think. They're going to be judged. They're going to be judged. What are, what are people going to think about me and everything else? Well, everybody's judging you within one-tenth of a second of even laying eyes on you or listening to you for the first time. So get over it. Yeah. <laughs> People are going to judge you, you can't help it, it comes through the amygdala part of the brain, bad luck, get over it, it's going to happen. But secondly, if you have value of any sort, if you can assist one person, just one person, focus on that one person who needs to hear that message. So quite often we think about it's every time we go out and do a podcast or every time we do a presentation, every time we step up on stage, everybody in that room must be changed. Well, They're not and they won't. They have to be ready first and foremost. But secondly, if you can only help five people, six people, one person, Mm. and you make a massive difference in their world, focus on that. Yeah. Because you just don't know which person needs to hear that message at that particular time. Yeah. And it can have a massive impact on their life. Mm. And they'll come up to you two years later and say, you may not remember this, but blah, 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 blah. It was two years ago. You delivered this message. I took it on board and, boy, did I need to hear it at that time. And – You've changed my life. People go, yeah. really? You changed their life? Well, yeah, because you just don't know the situation they're in. Yeah, exactly. And how big an impact it can have, whether it be health and wellness, whether it be communication, presentation, career-wise, as an entrepreneur, you just don't know where they're at. So don't be selfish mm. and get your message out there.
0: Yeah, that's it. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of, not as much now, but Grant Cardone. I don't know if you've ever yeah. listened to him before. Uh, he's A lot of people have different opinions on him, but something that he that really resonated with me from his book the 10x rule was that if you have a service or uh, value to offer it's literally like if you can start to think of it as your duty and an actual obligation to get that to as many people as possible that really changed my perspective on it and that was around the time i started the podcast and you know we talk about it all the time like with every piece of content we put out whether it's an email to the email list social media podcast it's like if you can go into every single one just genuinely focusing on trying to help at least one person and and, and even with audiences as well like something that i get asked a lot now is people wanting to grow their podcast or their social media and they're like i've only got like 5 500 people on my on my 500 followers or whatever it may be and i'm like imagine standing in a room in front of 500 people and if you can start to think of it like that like i feel like the motivation to to put value out there is is much higher and you start to genuinely feel like it, it is your obligation and duty to do it, and it's it's um, it's a pretty empowering thing. Well, the other thing they, they don't think about,
1: though, is the compounding effect. Yeah, 100%. So it's not just that individual. Yeah. They, they could go on and pass that lesson on to somebody else, mm-hmm. and it's how far that goes down the line and how many people will be in, impacted by it, mm-hmm. and it really is – it can compound and grow exponentially just based on one person, let alone 500 people
0: definitely with in terms of structure of let's say a presentation or even just a conversation with someone we'll use the example actually let's use the example of like a sales pitch do you work on things like the structure of the actual conversation in terms of when you're trying to go for the emotional response like when you're trying to x y and z like is there some is there a structure that you find more effective than others
1: Absolutely, yep. There needs to be a structure because that way you will never ever lose where you're at in any presentation. So if you're following a structure, I use a simple structure which I learnt from South Park. Love it, yeah. <laughs> Trey Parker. Um, <laughs> so there's an edition where they, uh, there, there's a documentary on, I think it's six days to from start to getting an episode live yep. in South Park. And they use a method called the AMBUT therefore method, which is AMBUT, AMBUT, and if you have too many ands, it doesn't get in the script because there needs to be that next. But something happened. So and but something happened. So I've just stolen it. No, I, I call it R and D ripped off and duplicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, changed it to situation problem solution, which probably people have heard before. So what is the current situation? What's the problem that you're solving for that person who's in that situation? The problem must go three deep, which I've already touched upon, external, internal, then the emotional problem. And then the solution, situation, problem, solution, which is your idea, your concept, what it is that you're delivering. Mm-hmm. That's the top half. Uh, there's there's one more part at the, the beginning, which is the big bang. Never start with boring bullshit niceties. Yeah. You know, start off with something punchy that's really going to wake your audience up, whether it be on stage, podcast, whatever it may be. And then, so the big bang, situation, problem, solution, Then the story, and all the story is putting into context the situation, problem, solution into a real character situation. Right. So you then tell the the story. Response kind of comes. Yeah. So and then you go. The story should um, be about fifty percent of that point that you're making. So whenever you make a point, you must must tell a story always. Interesting. So therefore, so situation, problem, solution, then the story, which is the emotional hook, and then what's that next one step that they needed to take to make that change? So it's a really formulaic structure, very simple. Um, I could also also go back to Trump. He used it very well, the situation, problem, solution, and but therefore methodology in being elected. Like him or hate him, it was a very clever, simple narrative that he used every single time, which Hillary didn't, Hence why she lost. Right. We're, we were, you know, America, we used to produce everything. We were once a great and mighty nation, but now we're we're exporting everything. We need to, oh, sorry, importing everything. We need to make America great again.
0: And then solution. He simple. That America. was it.
1: Make America great again. We're going to start building and manufacturing in America. Right. Really simple solution, um, really basic, like it, hate it, whatever. That's what he did. Yeah. Um, same with the wall. You know where we have a great immigration policy and we love having people immigrate to America. However, there's lots of illegals coming through and it's coming through Mexico. We're going to build a wall, solution, situation, problem, solution. Really basic narrative, which appealed to a very simplified voter. Yep. But it got the message. But it worked, yeah. Yeah, so I talk about simplifying your message rather than trying to show how clever you are.
0: When it comes to the sales pitch, again, I want to stay on this topic for a second. Uh, when we have pushback, like I, I also often hear, like I'm definitely no expert at, at sales calls or anything like that, so this is why I'm asking. But often hear, like, you know, you should let the other person, like whoever you're trying to sell to, they should be talking way more than you are. You should be kind of like provoking them with certain questions to touch on pain points and whatnot. Um, and then whenever there's pushback, you always want to have some, obviously, some form of uh, answer to a solution solution to whatever their kind of pushback is like outside of the structure is there any other key things that you like to focus on throughout a sales pitch
1: listening or sales call yeah effective listening is often overlooked in many coaching and training environments when it comes to any sales type process so i always say listen to understand not to respond most people will listen to a pushback or a question. And say, oh, I've been waiting for this objection. I've got the answer to this. Come on, and they they virtually haven't finished the objection or the pushback, and the person's answering it straight away. Really find out the reasoning behind this pushback. There's often the superficial reason, but what's the real un- underneath reason why they're pushing back or why they're not grabbing onto this? For there's a reason for it, and until you find out the real, the guts of that, there's no point in responding. So there might be another one or two questions you need to ask them to really find out what that true pushback is about. And what, it's only when you know that you can fully understand what it is and then respond accordingly. Yeah. I like that.
0: Move on moving on now sorry to back to the presenting side of things. Yeah. How important is obviously like the way you're able to talk and the the whether it's the eye contact, using the hands, the pictures and stuff and, and all that kind of all ties in together. But when I look at someone like uh, Gary V, for example, right, and he's, he's spoke about this a bunch of times, but he's mentioned things like, you know, I would have got a shitload more speaking gigs if I didn't swear or if I did X, Y and Z and, and structured my talks yep. differently than what I do. How important do you think that is? Like, obviously, I'm probably a shit example, a bit of a shit example because I tend to just naturally swear a bit and keep my conversations quite casual. And I also don't really have any intention of becoming like a professional presenter or whatever. I do enjoy doing keynotes and and public speaking on certain things that I'm confident talking about. But is it a bad thing in terms of like swearing or, or, you know, showing too much personality and not having too much structure or, or keeping it as professional as what you could be?
1: Some of the worst speakers, and I've got to be careful how I how I frame that, are those people that I see on stage, and presenting and so forth. Then I have a conversation backstage. It's like, who the hell are you? Yeah. Hang on, that bloke up on stage. <laughs> no, that's not you. And if you're not the authentic you, people will see through it. Mm. You know, your nonverbals, your micro expressions. People say that was a really good message. I really enjoyed that, but I don't know. Just something doesn't sit right with me about it. I I can't pick it. It was sort of faultless in its presentation, what he's saying or what they're saying, but it just doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And that will come from the majority of people who are there with an imposter syndrome. They're up there trying to be somebody who they're not, whereas just be the authentic you. And if you swear and they don't like it, bad luck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are certain. Fuck (laughs) them. Correct, (laughs) but you need to play to your audience. You need to understand who is in your audience. (laughs) Um, So I just don't walk onto any stage or into any presentation without understanding who's who's in my audience, because it's not about me. I've already said that it's not about me; it's about them. So if it's a large audience, let's say it's two thousand people and it's a large conference, I'll even ask to speak to HR directors or somebody who's in management or middle management roles and say, hey, what are some of the challenges you're facing at the moment in your role? What's some of the challenges that business is facing currently? So therefore, when I touch upon that in a story, in some of the examples and everything else, it's not just that one person who's going to say, you're speaking directly to me. I'm speaking yeah. directly to probably 50 to 60% of the audience. Yeah. So you get a true understanding of the culture and what's going on, and then you speak to that, people go, yeah, he gets me. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to understand the audience, but do it naturally. Yeah, you know, I'm not scripted to within an inch of my life. I'm presenting tomorrow. It will come out differently to what I'm practicing over the next. You know, what I've practiced already and what I'm going to be practicing later on today, which I do over and over and over again for a thirty-minute keynote.
0: It'll come out different tomorrow, but it'll just be authentic. Authentic, yeah. Sounds like listening tends to be something that's extremely important with any form of communication. Obviously, you look at any form of entrepreneur, personal brand, whatever it may be, in order for them to be super successful and effective, they have to be able to listen to what their audience wants, listen to feedback and whatnot. Um, I often look at, I, I like watching, uh, have you heard of Chris Boss? Yeah. Yeah, I love, yeah. I, I'm super intrigued about listening to interviews with him and, and other people that are kind of in the negotiation type of thing. Is that something that you kind of, do a bit of work on as well in terms of, let's say, something simple like negotiating to purchase a car or something like that and trying to negotiate a price and whatnot. Is there certain methods or structure when it comes to that that you'd be able to share?
1: Sorry, what was the question again? Oh, listening. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist.
0: Uh, well, look, there, there's again, there's
1: science behind all of this about subtle mimicry and so forth. Um, he talks about labeling an emotion yep. when, when it comes to negotiation and so forth. and yeah, and you can only do that by truly listening to understand what it is that they are saying and, and you mimic back the words exactly how they say it because meanings are in the people, not in the words themselves. So you can look up a dictionary meaning of a word but what you think the meaning of that word is versus me will be totally different. Yeah, you know, I always say to my kids, you know, oh, that's fully lit and they just go, oh, Dad, you're such a... <laughs> you're such a... <laughs> yeah, I won't say <laughs> You know, so trying to trying to use language which doesn't fit in with who you are yeah. doesn't work. But when you mimic behaviour, mimic the words that they use, and also how they say it, that's when you can build a real connection. And that un- you can only do that from listening, and that's really powerful when you're using negotiation. So when you use the same phrases back to people, like mirroring, it is exactly mirroring. And the research has been done where they split a split a restaurant in two, and they had the wait waiter waitresses or whatever you want to call them waiter. They one repeated everything back exactly the same as it was ordered, and the other just went around how they normally do. And you know, no surprise that the, the tips were doubled when the person repeated exactly word for word what it was that they ordered and how they ordered it. So it's the subtleties around that aspect of listening to truly understand and then to repeat back, which is a real it's a secret weapon which not too many people use. It's an old school methodology, which a lot of people have forgotten about. Mm. But it works because it's how we how we operate.
0: Yeah. Is there certain books or people you kind of like sources of information that you like to come back to when it comes to learning about communication that you'd be like somewhere that the audience would be able to kind of check out themselves as well? Obviously, as well as your stuff. <laughs> well, there is so many. I, i You've seen me at the gym. I've always got my um,
1: my earbuds in. I'm always listening to podcasts, audio yep. books, so forth. Um, come on, cool. Camelo wrote, uh, he's got two books, um, "Storyteller Secrets, which covers the gamut of expert storytellers. Uh, He also just released a book recently um, on Bezos and how his communication style and so forth. So there there are a couple of core element books which cover the spectrum of communication. So I find them extremely, extremely powerful. They're probably two go-to ones. And Nancy Duarte, so for those of more technical um, structured basis. Mm. Um, she's she's got a uh, she wrote a book called Data Story, and it goes to the point where we were talking earlier about technical startups, people in the IT world, engineers, and so forth, and how important it is to associate story with every single presentation. How to how to you produce your slides so that it's not too data heavy, and the res- research that she has done out of Duarte Inc is fascinating that it is twenty-two times greater the retention of information at a high level data heavy presentation, twenty-two times greater the retention when you use story. Mm. So it's fascinating. So there's there's a there's a lot of people that I've researched and I love, but there's there's just a, a few.
0: Yeah, for sure we'll um, we'll have to link those. We'll link them in the show notes or something for yeah. sure.
1: And probably Michael Michael Grinder from a nonverbal perspective. I Who mean, is it, sorry? Michael Grinder.
0: Okay, sweet.
1: And, uh, yeah, I've had a few people say, who's your friend on Grinder?" <laughs> <laughs> no, it's G-R-I-N-D here, Michael <laughs> Grinder.
0: Um, I feel like you've mentioned a few of them already, but is there any no-nos when it comes to, in particular, public speaking?
1: The biggest one that comes to mind immediately is people that have filler words. Um. Uh um mm, all mine out today. <laughs> yeah. Uh so um yeah, good morning, um ladies and gentlemen. Um welcome. My name is uh and if they start talking like that and they say R before their name, you start to worry, they can't even think of their name. <laughs> They're not gonna be that credible. So that is probably the biggest out of any error, for want of a better word, or or fault that a lot of people do, they say, How do I stop it? Please. How do I stop these filler words? And the simple methodology is to simply pause. And it's about getting used to not saying anything and pausing because the more you pause, the more credible you sound. So you notice I'm effectively yeah. pausing right now because I really want to make this point. But if you want to make a serious point, so there's, I talk about staccato and laccato, which are singing terminologies, and la, 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 but then you go staccato and really slow things down. Da, 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 da. But when you're about to make a really critical point, pause before it and pause after it. And it not only gives the audience time to really soak it up and listen and understand, it also gives your brain a little bit of a rest you can start to think about what you're going to say next mm. <laughs> so it is extremely powerful and the the most credible the most the, the speakers with the most gravitas that that per, that charisma on stage are those are the ones who can really have some fun out there but then when they're making a point they slow it down and pause and it's almost like wow okay i've got that
0: yeah that's interesting that's uh There you go. (laughs) I knew (laughs) that was going to (laughs) happen. Interesting. Uh, What do you do to actually practice these things? So you mentioned before you've got a keynote coming up and you were just talking before we hit record today about a bunch of the gigs you've got coming up. What are some of the things that you do to practice and to improve these skills? Is it as simple as just literally just practicing what your speech is going to be? Like for those that are listening that want to improve their communication skills and maybe have some form of public speaking gig coming up and they want to nail it, what are some of the practices that you do, whether it's daily, weekly?
1: Um, hit me up on my website and I'll catch you. No. Yeah. <laughs> the the biggest tip I can give, and I, I give this freely to everybody because nobody practices anywhere near enough. But when you practice, you need to record yourself. You need Everybody's got a phone. Just set it up on a tripod and record yourself. But, oh but I don't like the way I look, I don't like the way I sound well get over it, it's, <laughs> it's who you are and then you must do four things after that so then you watch it back without sound I mentioned earlier the importance of non-verbals so whether this is online in a digital environment through Zoom, WebEx etc or you're doing live presentations watch it back, what, what are your facial expressions doing what is your body language doing what is your body saying without you saying a word Really critical. And it's amazing when you watch that back and you think, oh, my God, I look like I'm bored myself. How's the audience going to feel? Secondly, then you listen. You don't watch. Is my message clear? Is it making sense? Have I made my point specifically clear at that moment in time in my presentation? Can they repeat that when they leave the room? Then watch it back as one. Is it congruent? Am I telling a sad story and I've got a big smile on my face? Doesn't work. We had a really shit year last year. We <laughs> lost two million. I've got a dirty big smile on my face. Doesn't make sense. So is it congruent? And then to go next level, you there's various transcribing apps such as Otter. Mm-hmm. Transcribe it. Go old school. Then print it out. Yes, old school. And then highlight all of those filler words that you want to get rid of or all of those words that you don't think make sense in your presentation. So not only are you listening back and picking those words out, you're now seeing it in a visual format printed. And if you do those four things and practice, practice, and do more practice. So a 30-minute keynote presentation, I'll practice 15 to 20 times before I deliver it. Now, I know my content, Mm -hmm. but I'll still make sure I practice 15 to 20 times. And I remember I was in... Bangalore, it was about three and a half years ago, I was with IBM with some high-level C-suite and I was delivering a three-day boot camp over there. And it was lunchtime day one and I still remember he was the HRD, Head of Human Resources at IBM. And he was a Sikh gentleman, so he had a red turban on him. He st- stood at the side. I remember him specifically. He said, Warren, can I have a word? I said, sure. He said, actually you know, I'm a good presenter. I said, well, not sure. I haven't seen you present yet. <laughs> and he said... But whenever i present and get off finishing my presentation i've always forgotten something i always miss the key point Mm. how do i stop doing that i said well i need to ask you a question he said sure i said how many times do you practice before you present he's gone once maybe twice i said there's your problem i turned my back on him he said hang on hang on what what do you mean i said well i practice between 10 to 15 times minimum and that's content which i know backwards Mm. said you just don't practice enough yeah and that's quite often and i will do this in seminars and whenever i get to do facilitation workshops i'll i'll put my hand up and you know show my fingers how many the last presentation you ever delivered how many people have practiced five times generally i won't get any hands four times three times and i'll go down and and quite often i love the honest people that say zero Zero, yeah (laughs) and and it's the biggest thing you've got the camera on your phone you can record it anywhere just practice but yeah. you must watch it back and be the coach not the critic so this is a long-winded yeah, answer but it's no, really really no, powerful no, yeah. so quite often we will be the critic oh i can't believe i did that oh geez, why did i do that oh the sound i hate the sound of my voice oh there i am i'm umming and aring again whereas the coach would say the best way that you could fix that is to just pause you're umming and ahhing too much so as soon as you be the critic, you start to anchor that behavior in your mind. When you become the coach, you anchor the change that you want to implement. Mm. Big difference. we got to change from critic to coach. Love
0: that, coach instead of a critic, because I feel like a lot of people almost don't practice or don't listen back. And it doesn't just have to be public speaking. It can be absolutely anything. It might be doing an exercise at the gym. It could be whatever, because they're, they don't want to actually pick up on the shit they're not good at. You know what I mean? They don't want to have that uncomfortable feeling of seeing that they need to work on something or or yeah, I definitely have been guilty of that in the past. I'd never really listened or watched back much of my stuff because I, I knew there was bits and pieces that needed improvement and I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> uh, but it is that is super powerful. One more sorry, were you gonna say something?
1: No, I was just saying I was I actually went to a pinch pitch pinch comp, pitch competition last night. Really? So there was a uh, a pitch competition in, in Richmond. Went and had a look and videotaped a few of the people. (laughs) I put it on my VCR and played it back. And it was interesting. This is a pitch comp with a prize at the end and some very influential people in the room. I just thought there was was one pitch that I saw which was well-practised, brilliantly done, well-structured, and the rest were, I'll be
0: polite and say, bad. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, I just couldn't believe it. Is, is a pitch something that you feel like you're super comfortable with?
1: Absolutely. Just use the formula. So the other factor which Story does in regards to a sales pitch, okay, so when we want a decision at the end of the day. If it's not a long-term sales cycle, so it's a, something where people can make a decision immediately rather than a high-cost item such as purchasing a home, whatever it may be. It's about creating value and then putting the person into that position of, You can have, you know, it's almost like a Harry Met Sally moment. You can have what she's having by telling the story. Mm -hmm. And you can have this. Just visualise what your life will be like in 12 months' time once you've implemented these processes, once you've implemented my program, once you've dropped the five kilos for your wedding dress.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Just like I did with Jane,
0: how good will that feel? We can do that. I've shown you how we can do that. Trying to get them to visualise themselves in that situation. Correct. You you can you can
1: do this with the right mentoring, the right coaching in twelve months time. I know that you'll be coming to me saying, I can't believe I didn't do this sooner. Thank you so much.
0: I mm. mean, you know,
1: I know that because that's what Jane said to me. Her exact words. So let's
0: move forward. Almost eliminating the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. One last question I had, and this is just for my own benefit. In terms of writing a book, right? So I um, I like I don't mind writing in terms of sending out stuff to my email list and whatnot, but the thought of actually sitting down and writing a book, when, whenever the time comes that I've actually got something to talk about, that kind of scares me in terms of sitting down and just – I did not really enjoy English that much at school to be honest and yeah, I don't know. It's just an overwhelming thing about writing a book. Yeah. What's your opinion on recording an audio book getting transcribed into a book? So, as say let's say you did it in almost like a podcast format, obviously there'd be a fair bit of editing that would have to go into the actual written copy, assuming that I've improved. I'm not saying R and all that type of stuff in between. But is that an effective method at all? Yes, but
1: <laughs> So you've got all the content within within you or you've got it out in the world already. Mm. Your book is out there.
0: yeah.
1: All you need to do is put it into a structure that flows, yeah. So the biggest key with any book for it to flow and people want to turn the page, and it makes sense that that's the next progression in what it is that you're wanting to share. Mm -hmm. What you do, I'm sure, and and I can speak to this because it's exactly what I've done with coaching facilitation and so forth, I didn't think I had a book in me. Year 11, best two years of my life. Correct. I repeated year 11 because of (laughs) English. (laughs) (laughs) So, yet I've got an <laughs> international best selling book. Yeah. Only because I loved building content. I loved delivering facilitation. And then I realized all of this makes sense. If I restructure this in an order mm-hmm. and how it flows as to the communication process. So, my book, I Get You, is a one on one communication. I'm in the process of doing a course and a book for presenting to many. Yeah. But it just made sense to produce it in a structured ordered format. So all I did was rearrange my facilitation notes and PowerPoints and what I've done in the past. You could yeah. do it with your podcast and everything else. Your information is already there. Your book yeah. is there. You just need the structure and the flow. Once you've got the structure right, what's practical? So it goes here, then it goes to this next step, then it goes to this next step. Then you just pull out those podcast editions. You pull out those, <coughs> those coaching and facilitation sessions that you've done, which sing and speak to that.
0: Mm. And then you go through the edit process. So you've already got it. Yeah, interesting. I appreciate that feedback. Uh, Warren, thanks for coming on, mate. It's been a great conversation. I've definitely taken a lot of value out of it and I'm sure the audience will as well. And we'll have all the the links to your socials and website and whatnot in the, the show notes below. But uh, yeah, as I said, I've taken a lot of value from it. So I appreciate you coming on. No, I appreciate you having me. And, and it goes to show...
1: What I liked about your podcast and everything else, how it's just a casual conversation. Yeah. Feel totally relaxed. All yeah. that's missing is a beer, but it's a bit early. I think at ten o'clock, but
0: yeah, you know. oh, never too early. I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's twelve o'clock somewhere, yeah. right? <laughs> I no, appreciate really, you appreciate. coming on. Is there anything that you wanted to kind of uh, mention to the audience at all? Otherwise, as I said, we can have everything in the in the show notes we've covered the most important aspects it's been awesome really appreciate your time thank you thanks so much and for everyone who has tuned in we really appreciate you listening to this episode if you've taken some value which i am certain that you have we'd love for you to share this one so if you grab a screenshot of this episode share it on your instagram story otherwise just share the link to this episode with a friend family member anyone who you think could take some value as well and yeah we really appreciate you listening and we'll chat to you in the next episode Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself.